It's 600 BC and the Babylonian empire has been expanding its reign by conquering one nation at a time. For years, the Jewish people in Jerusalem have resisted, but as Nebuchadnezzar launches an all-out attack to besiege the city and ransack the temple, they can resist no longer. On the heels of his victory, Nebuchadnezzar orders some of the Jewish royal family's top officials and favorite sons to come and serve in his palace in Babylon. They are to be assimilated, trained and taught the ways of Babylon, conformed to the pattern of the Babylonian lifestyle. But in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this utter and complete terror, there emerges a wonderful story of tremendous tenacity. It's the story of one man and his small group of companions struggle to remain faithful, steady, and steadfast in an oppressive and seductively evil new world. Good morning, friends. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors of Cedar Mill Bible Church, and today we are diving into one of the greatest stories in all of the Old Testament. It's one of my favorites. It's the story of Daniel in the book of Daniel, and we are calling our series Following God When Your World Turns Upside Down. Here's how the story begins. If you have a Bible, you can open to Daniel chapter 1 with me. This morning we'll look at chapter 1. Here's how the story begins. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The story of Daniel is a story that takes place in exile. Daniel and some of his compadres have now been sent off to live their lives in Babylonia's capital city, the city of Babylon. And today, that's exactly what we'll talk about. I want to talk with you about Babylon, this empire that moves into and overtakes Daniel's world. Today, we're going to answer three questions. Here they are. One, what is Babylon? Two, What does Babylon want to do to you? And three, how can you resist? So we'll dive right in. First, what is Babylon? We know from history that Babylon was simply an empire that emerged to rule most of the ancient Middle East between the years of 626 and 539 BC. So Babylon is on one level simply a historical reality. But in the Bible, Babylon represents something bigger, something much more significant. In the Bible, Babylon represents any worldly kingdom that wants to pull you away from God's kingdom. In fact, in Revelation chapter 17, the very last book in the scriptures, Babylon is called the mother of prostitutes. And this is a way of saying, you know, God wants us to love him. He wants us in a love relationship with him. But Babylon comes along as a counterfeit mistress who wants to lure you and me away, away from God, away from God's kingdom. You see, 
Babylon will make great grand promises about giving you the good life, about satisfying your soul, but she is nothing more than a cheap imitation of the kingdom of God. And here's the truth. Whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. And Babylon is a counterfeit to the kingdom of God. It's just a counterfeit kingdom to the life God longs for you to have. And this is so important, friends. It's important for us to understand this truth as we begin this book of the scriptures because Daniel is not just a story about what happened. Daniel is a story about what always happens when there's conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. And so this is a story that happened in history, but it's also a message to be applied throughout history. Friends, again, here's why this book is so important for you and me. Because just like Daniel will have to face and figure out how to walk with God in his Babylon, you and I will have to figure out how to follow God in ours. And we'll learn from him. So again, what is Babylon? A counterfeit kingdom that wants to pull you away from God's kingdom and the rich, full, joyous, peaceful, meaning-filled life that the Lord has for you. Question two, what does Babylon want to do to you? We continue the story, verse three. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. There they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Okay, there are a few things in these verses, a few agendas of Babylon. First, Babylon will try to tempt you. Babylon will try to tempt you. Remember the reality of this situation. Don't let this just be a story. Picture what happens here. Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king, has just attacked and ransacked your city, killed your countrymen, and now you have been hauled off to serve in his palace 700 miles away from home. You probably were forced to walk most, if not all, of that distance. So if you're Daniel, you are a war prisoner. You're grieving, you're tired, you're hungry, you're worn down. And now let me read verse 5 again. The king assigned them, that's Daniel and his buddies, a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. You're exhausted You're tired, you're starving, and now you've got access to the king's fridge. This is the best news you've had in months, maybe in years. But there's something about it. There's something about this news. There's something about this food that represents a compromise. Most scholars believe this food was not kosher. It did not align with the eating laws that God had given his people. But just think for a minute. How easy would it have been for Daniel to say, 
Who cares about eating laws at a time like this? I mean, it looks good, it tastes good, it's all I've got, and desperate times call for desperate measures. Friends, how easy it would have been for Daniel to compromise in this little way, in this little moment. But listen to me, because there's an important lesson for us here. Big compromises in your life always begin with small compromises that you've justified. Big compromises in your life always begin with small compromises that you have justified. And Babylon, friends, will constantly tempt you to compromise your convictions. Let me pause right here at this point in the story and ask you a question. Are you being tempted to compromise someplace in your life these days? And are you tempted? Are you tempted to justify your compromise because of what's happening in our world, because of a life situation that you're in? Babylon wants to tempt you and lure you in slowly but surely. Next, Babylon wants to train you. This passage tells us that Daniel and crew were to be educated for three years. They are enlisted in the Babylonian undergraduate program. They are to attend the University of Babylon. And the whole idea here is that they are to be de-evangelized. They are sent off to training so that they can unlearn the ways of the Lord that they have learned in Judah and to be taught the Babylonian way to believe and think about life. Furthermore, we're told in this section that they each receive a new name. Daniel, Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, Azariah, Abednego. If you've seen the Veggie Tales, it's Rack, Shack, and Benny. But here's the point. These names mean something. These names were given so that these guys would think about life from a new and different perspective, from the Babylonian perspective. Daniel, that's a name that means God is my judge. Belteshazzar means Bel protects his life. Bel was a foreign pagan false god. Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious. Shadrach means the command of Aku. Mishael, who is what God is? Meshach, who is what Aku is? Do you see the shift of thinking and the shift of focus? Azariah, Yahweh is my helper. Abednego, servant of Nebu. You see, Babylon wants to train you to forget about God and his word and to think about the world in a new way, from a new perspective an ungodly perspective. Friends, let me just take this moment to remind you of something, to challenge you with something. Be very careful about what you are allowing to shape your thinking. Be very careful about what sources of authority you are receiving to form the way you see and understand our world. And I'm not saying... Don't ever read a different opinion or consider a new perspective. No, do that. It is a good thing to stretch and expand your mind and to learn. But here's what I am saying. Always come back to God's word. Always bring new thinking and new ideas back to the word of God and square new perspectives with God's perspective. 
Why? Because Babylon is deceptive and tricky and ruthlessly persistent, and she is always trying to train you to think and understand the world in a new, ungodly way. Finally, Babylon wants to traumatize you. This one's the most intense. Look again with me at verse 7. It says this, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. And then we get the the names, the, the new names the guys are given. But there's a little phrase here that maybe you've been tempted to just skim past or read over. It's the little phrase, chief of the eunuchs. Chief of the eunuchs. What does this mean? Everything you feared. (laughs) Because the chief of the eunuchs oversees Daniel and crew. And so Daniel and crew are most likely now eunuchs. You see, Sometimes we read the story of Daniel in the wrong way and we are tempted to think this, man, if we love God and are faithful to him, he will make our lives easy and he will deliver us from hardship and suffering. Wrong. Bad theology. Daniel and his crew in this story throughout this entire book will have to face and walk through some extremely difficult things. And friends, I will say this, one area often under attack in our world and in Babylon is the area of gender and sexuality and family. Friends, Babylon wants to mutilate and distort who God created and wants you to be in this world. Babylon wants to traumatize your identity, convince you that you are someone that you are not. So Babylon wants to tempt you She wants to train you. She wants to traumatize you. So how do we resist? Verse 8. This is the hinge point of the entire first chapter. Maybe the most important verse. Because up until this point in the story, it's the Babylonians who have been in charge. They've been determining everything. Nebuchadnezzar resolves to conquer Israel. He does it. He resolves to bring Daniel and his friends to Babylon. He brings them. He resolves to enroll these guys into the leadership academy. He resolves to have their names changed. He's running the show. But all of a sudden in verse 8, it's now Daniel's turn to be resolved. He's standing his ground. Here's what it says. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Friends, if you want to follow God in Babylon, you will have to cling to your convictions. And I want to point out here that Daniel does this in such a strong, but also agreeable way. It says he resolves not to eat the king's food, but then what he does is he comes up with a better option. He offers an alternative plan. You see, it's really easy, especially I think as followers of Jesus, for us to fall into this pattern of being against something, of standing against things that are evil and wrong in this world. But, but time and time again, I think God is calling us to not just be against things, but to be for things. Because to be for things and to offer alternative solutions, that takes initiative, that takes effort, it takes faith and trust in who our God is. 
Friends, let me ask you today, as we study this story of Daniel, do you know where your convictions are? And do you stand for your convictions in ways that offer life-giving, hope-filled results in our world and to the people around you? Daniel does. And if you know the story, his plan works. It's successful. They don't eat the king's food. Instead, they eat vegetables. They don't go on the Atkins diet. They're on the veggie diet, right? And, and it works. He and his buddies end up looking better than every other one around them. And this leads to the second thing I want to point out about Daniel in this story. Daniel doesn't stand alone. Notice how many times in this chapter, Rack, Shack, and Benny are referred to. And in the end, they end up standing before the king in this really pivotal, intense moment. And they stand there together. They stand there as a group. And the king spoke with them, verse 19. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king together. Several months ago, I had the opportunity to speak with our students at winter camp. And one of the things that I tried to fervently impress upon their young minds was this need for spiritual friendship. This need that we all have to walk out the Jesus following life with people who, who know us and love us, with people who we can be vulnerable and radically real with. You must find spiritual friends who will stand with you because you cannot survive in Babylon by yourself. You need friends that will be with you when times are hard and who will also challenge you and call you out when you're in the wrong. A few days ago, one of my spiritual friends gave me a phone call right after I had been a little bit harsh, a little bit snippy on a group video call. And this friend of mine, this spiritual friend who knows me and loves me and who, who, who I trust immensely, uh, offered me just some kind, caring advice. In fact, what he offered me was a verse of scripture, Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger just reminded me of those words from the scriptures. And it was a good word offered by a good friend and it caused my heart to change and actually initiated an apology from me to, to someone else. It was a good thing for my soul, but I needed a spiritual friend. And so I ask you, church, do you have people to walk with you and stand with you and love you and challenge you as you face Babylon together? Maybe this season in the life of our nation and world is an opportunity for you to think about who you want to walk this life with and to reach out to text or video chat or offer a phone call and say, I need a spiritual friend. I need someone to get deep with me and walk with me and challenge me and help me grow. And I want to do that with you. Maybe it's a chance to establish a spiritual friendship in your life that you've never had before. Don't miss that chance. Daniel needed spiritual friends. Finally, remember who you are and whose you are. That's what Daniel does. Remember who you are and whose you are. 
You recall that the Babylonians gave Daniel and crew these new names. And when you read the story of Daniel, all throughout this series, you'll notice this. When the Babylonians refer to these guys, they call them by their new names, their Babylonian names, but they never refer to themselves with these names. They always refer to themselves and each other with their Hebrew names. They're constantly reminding themselves who they are and whose they are. They will not forget. Friends, let me tell you this, especially you young people. Do not let what others put on you get in you. Do not let what others put on you get in you. And Daniel refuses to do this. Daniel's name again means this, God is my judge. God is my judge. And it's Daniel's conviction. It's his belief in this fact that leads to most, if not all, of his resolve. He knows that even though time and time and time again, he may have to stand before an earthly king, someday he will stand before the king of kings. And Daniel, he lives his entire life knowing that that moment is coming. God, he is my judge. Daniel knows this. Friends, maybe one of the most hopeful, encouraging, endurance-giving verses in this entire chapter is a verse you've probably never noticed before. It's verse 21. It's the very last verse of this chapter. It says this, And Daniel was there, that's in Babylon, and Daniel was in Babylon until the first year of King Cyrus. Who's King Cyrus? Do you know who he is? King Cyrus is the king of the great Persian empire that overthrows Babylon in 539 BC. And so here's what this verse is telling us. Daniel outlives Babylon. Daniel outlasts Babylon. Babylon comes with a lot of force and a lot of might and a lot of power and Babylon goes and Daniel is still standing. That is amazing. Because when this story starts, Daniel is just a teenager. He's a young kid. He's the age of a high school student. Young people, hear me when I say this to you. You can live and stand for your God in a world no matter where that is. You can live and stand for your God in your world, no matter where it is, at your school, with your friends, online, through social media. Tomorrow is not your day. Today is your day. Look at Daniel and follow his lead. But this is not just the story of a young man who starts well. It's the story of a man who lives well. It's the story of a man who finishes well. In fact, as this story goes on, Daniel will age, as most of us do, and, and many scholars believe that he'll actually go into the lion's den with a hip replacement and a walker. He's a really old guy at that point. But just like he stood for the Lord as a young man, Daniel will live and risk and trust radically in the Lord as an old man as well. So friends, let me just speak this to you today. No matter who you are, no matter how old or young or middle-aged you might be, cling to your convictions. Find spiritual friends to walk with you and never forget who you are and whose you are. Because another thing that we see several times in this first chapter is the little phrase, the Lord gave, the Lord 
gave. And just like the Lord gave to Daniel and his friends in Babylon, he continues to give to his people and to you and me today. Through the death and resurrection of his son, God has defeated death, redeemed you and me, and poured out his spirit on all people who will put their faith in him. So you don't forget that, church. Never forget that, church, no matter where you're living. Remember that God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son. Remember that you were bought at a price. Remember that the Holy Spirit has been given to you and to me and that we might have power and love for the days ahead, even in our days in Babylon. That's our God. That's his strength. He's with us here. He's with us now in these very days. Let's pray. Father, thank you for offering stories of real life and real struggle and real difficulty. Thank you for people who we can look to, people like Daniel and his friends who were faithful in the midst of hardship. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that this world is a tough place, that there is an enemy, that there are forces at work to pull us away from you and take us down. But thank you, Lord, by the power of your spirit that you give us the grace and the fortitude to walk faithfully with you in this world. My prayer, Lord, is that we as a church would be much like Daniel in his day. And in our day, Lord, we would face Babylon with courage and steadfast faith and hope and joy and power because of your spirit in us. That is our prayer. And we pray it in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, friends.